run, run, because here's another episode of They're Coming to Read You, Barbara, a podcast book club for the strange and unusual. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Sarah. And today we're talking about Stephen King's The Shining and Joe Hill's Nosferatu. Yes, it's a double whammy. We'll take both the daddy and the son. Woo! <laughs> So if you haven't read The Shining ever, uh, it is about the Torrance family who moves to a remote hotel to act as caretakers over the winter. But once they're snowed in, latent mental illness and menacing spirits threaten to leave the family dead before spring. Meanwhile, in Joe Hill's Nosferatu, Vic McQueen is able to travel anywhere via a bridge that she conjures into existence. But she'll soon learn that there's something else with a magical means of travel, and he's the most frightening person who can be connected to a string of child disappearances. Sarah, will you please tell us more about Stephen King? Happy to. So Stephen King was born in Portland, Maine in 1947. And of course, you know, I'm just attached to Stephen King because also living in Maine, he's just very iconic here in the state. Uh, He made his first professional short story sale in 1967 to startling mystery stories. And in the fall of 1971, he began teaching high school English classes at Hampton Academy, the public high school in Hampton, Maine. Writing uh, in the evenings and on the weekends, he continued to produce short stories and to work on his novels. And in the spring of 1973, Doubleday and Co. accepted the novel Carrie for publication and provided him with the means of leaving teaching and to write full time. Sounds exciting. Since he has published over 50 books and has become one of the world's most successful writers, he's written the following famous works, The Shining, uh, Salem's Lot, Cujo, Christine, It, Dr. Sleep, and his most recent publication, Fairy Tale. Stephen lives in Maine and Florida with his wife, also a novelist, Tabitha King. They are regular contributors to a number of charities, including many libraries, and have been honored locally for their philanthropic activities well they sound lovely they are i don't know i've never met them i wish i wish well i'll tell you more about joe hill joe hill is the son of stephen and tabitha king he began writing under an assumed name so as to be published on his own merits in addition to short stories and novels, he frequently partners with artists to create graphic novels. His books include Lock and Key, Horns, and Heart-Shaped Box. His short story, Black Phone, was recently adapted for a feature film starring Ethan Hawke. Nice. Yeah, it is terrifying. Have you seen that movie yet? I have not. Ooh, it will really tap into your fears of your child being kidnapped. It is very scary. I wonder where he gets this idea of writing horror. Seems out of the blue. Yeah, who knows, right? (laughs) He also had the, uh, he wrote a short story that I really love called Pop Art, which is about a little boy who is made out of balloons. And that sounds so dumb. And I started it and I was like, what? This conceit is really weird. And then by the end, I was crying. I was like, crying over a balloon boy. It was really <laughs> good. Oh, that's amazing. I'll have to look that up. And Heart Shaped Box is very scary as well. So I've read a few of his works. Uh, I'm excited to read more. I've only read Nosferatu and I'm digging it. Heart Shaped Box is pretty spooky. All right. <laughs> so, Sarah, tell me your general thoughts 
on The Shining. Let's start with The Shining. Yeah, um, I really, really enjoyed reading The Shining. I mean, I've been watching the movie, right, since I was a kid. So this was my concept of that story. And I think what I really loved was getting that deep dive into Jack's past. Um, Really, we get to know more about what makes him tick. uh, And really, it kind of wonderfully sets him up uh, for the extreme behavior, right, that you uh, experience later in the book. Um, You know, you hear about how he got fired from uh, being a teacher at this school for beating up a student who slashed his tires because he cut him from the debate team, uh, he, him becoming an alcoholic with his friend and possibly killing someone on a bike. So that's wild. Um, and just, I think their internal thoughts have been really uh, interesting to learn about, like, especially Wendy. Um and just in her internal thoughts about divorce and also about hurting Jack, hurting Danny. Uh, and, you know, Jack's inability to keep a job uh, or his ability to support his family is what drove them to go to the Overlook Hotel, right? They needed to stay somewhere. They need the money. Um, and really, he's having to beg for a job, right? So um, I just think it, it was really great to get that deep dive back. Um, And that they went to the Overlook as this sort of fresh start, right? Or this was going to be a new beginning so that he can be a writer. Um, And, but he doesn't really put in the work, right? And uh, this was supposed to be that new beginning for the family. And Jack was giving up alcohol. Um, I think just uh, uh, the family dynamic is really explored well in this book. Um, and I think Stephen takes really good care of just really setting up those characters so you get to know who they are. Um, should I talk about a little bit more of the second half of the book? Uh, let's wait. We'll start with the beginning. Okay. Um, I enjoyed this book a lot. Uh, however, I will say, having watched the movie, have you watched the movie? I have, yeah. Okay. Having watched the movie, I do think the movie makes improvements on the book. Mm-hmm. I actually find the movie far more menacing. And part of that is, you know, obviously the nature of film. You're able to immerse yourself a little more than you are a book. Um, but imagery. yeah, I still found uh like the book to be at times actually a little bit slow so I really enjoyed it but I did there were times where it was hard to pick it up because I remembered that I was in the middle of a part that was kind of dragging for me and so I didn't feel like it necessarily zipped along the same way uh that Joe Hill's book did or that even It by Stephen King did I felt like this one was a little bit slower and for some reason I wasn't terribly scared for most of the book, which I know is a high bar to expect of a horror book, but I wasn't terribly afraid very much. And I think that may be because it's hard to make a dead lady in a bathtub terribly scary when you're just reading it. Um, And I was waiting more for the uh, parts with Jack being an actual threat to his family to kick in because that part was scarier than any of the ghosts and ghouls. And so for some reason, all of the ghost stuff happening in the book was not frightening to me. Um, And it wasn't until almost the end that I felt like finally it picked up and I was excited about what was happening. So I enjoyed it. I just felt like a huge portion of the book is set up 
uh, for the eventual climax. And so for that reason, like, I liked it. Uh, I just, if it had been my first Stephen King book, I don't know if I would have been like terribly eager to run out and get his next one. However, I've read others by him that did deliver on that. And so I know that that is the exception. Oh, I totally hear that. Uh, I know for me, I I actually like the, 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 the slower moments because I like that big, maybe longer character buildup. And maybe I really like that. I think that it actually made me more afraid. Uh, and maybe because I also really related a lot to Wendy. I relate a lot to her fears and her thoughts about her husband. And so I, because I could relate to that and that fear of a person in your life, right? Uh, it made it just very real scary. And that's true. I agree that sort of the ghost stuff wasn't as scary for me. So it was very creepy, super utterly creepy. Um, I think sometimes uh, actually Danny's in internal thoughts were a little bit scarier, just his, you know, being a child and then dealing with like, you know, those like, uh, voices and then, you know, talking with Tony and things like that. Um, I think those were pretty scary, but I think Jack as a person and as a father was the scariest part of the book for me. I agree. And that's why for me, like I kind of wanted more from the, like that threat earlier. Uh, and once he becomes an actual threat in the book, I did feel like then the book was off and running and I was far more into it. Um, and I do feel like, unfortunately, you know, ghosts and things like that are more effectively delivered, you know, in a visual medium. It's hard to be, it's hard to deliver a jump scare in a book, you know, even it, the scariest parts are not that clown. The scariest parts are the other kids, you know, so it may just be certain things resonate better in a certain medium. And so I did overall like it. It just, it felt more like a drama for 75% of the book. And then 25% of the book, I was like, okay, here we go. I will say one part that really did scare me with the ghosts wasn't even the lady in the bathtub. It was that kid in the cement tube. Oh my gosh, right? It so, was. Yeah, was it so Danny goes to play on the playground and he crawls into this long cement pipe and he starts to feel like something is in the tube with him. And then so he struggles to get out and he scrapes his back and he runs all the way back and he looks and there's a little hand waving at him from the tube. And that was very scary. Mm -hmm. And for me, I wonder if what what is not scary about maybe the lady in the bathtub is that you see too much. So too much is like not enough is left to the imagination for my brain to have room to be afraid, you know? Yeah. And I think reading about Danny too, like being a little kid, almost getting stuck, right? Because the snow's starting to come in to the tube and he's trying to get out. And so that fear of getting also like entombed with something that you don't know what it is. Yeah, definitely scary. Totally. <laughs> and uh I like that ghost, unlike some of the other more menacing presences in the hotel, had limits, right? That ghost was limited to the tube. Jack, as a, as a villain figure, he has limits. He's in an actual body. He can be hurt or defeated. Meanwhile, the hotel 
is almost too big of a villain. So I don't know if it connected with me as very scary because I was like, well, there's not really a way to defeat this, you know, uh, until the end, you finally learn its limits. And so I like I do think that's why those more smaller villains like Jack and that ghost in the tube are even scarier than some of the bigger ones like the um, like the topiary for me. The topiary for me was not as scary as maybe the labyrinth in the in the movie because the labyrinth is just encased in mystery it's a very effective thing to do for film and so i know stephen king really hated that film because he felt like it changed so much from his books um but for me i actually think that what it changed like it took the best parts of the novel and then it added this other layer of atmosphere that uh, just made it more possible for those uh, parts that they did retain from the book to be scarier. It's true. Yeah. And some of the classic things we have from the movie, like what he writes on the typewriter, right? Like uh, Jack is a dull boy. Uh, and um, yeah, some of those like the twins, none of that is in the book, you know? Yes. And maybe that was part of it for me too. Like the lady in the bathtub is not scary to me because she was just a sad lady that died. Yeah. And I get that after she is this menacing presence. But for me, I was like, there's, there's not like enough of a thing to make her scary to me. Even the gangsters uh, like being murdered in the room. None of that really got fleshed out enough for it to be terribly scary. Whereas I feel almost like had, uh, had it zeroed in on specific presences in the hotel, I would have felt more afraid. But instead, you know, it was something else, which was fine. And I, it was interesting. It just didn't necessarily scare me. I think that some, some of the scariest for me was like Jack's just his going into like psychosis, right? Like all of the stories he was finding down by the boiler and then he was going to write this big, that was his new idea, right? He wanted to write a book about the hotel. And then he made that phone call to the manager guy uh, and was like, I'm going to do this. And they're like, you're not going to do that. Um, you know, so it's just like this watching him go into psychosis. And I think some of those scarier moments also from a little boy's perspective was scary for me because it's like the woman in room 217. It's like that was Danny, like this little boy seeing this very scary thing. And so I think his perspective made it a little bit scarier for me. But I will say my scariest moment of the book definitely was uh, Jack getting locked in the freezer in the kitchen when they like shoved him in there. And I think just the fear that Wendy was feeling when she had to go check that he was still in there and the fact that the ghosts come to let him out. I think that's, to me, that's scarier because you're literally fearing this real person who wants to hurt you. Uh, and right, she goes to get a knife from the kitchen and they're just waiting in the bedroom. Oh, I, yeah. I just feel that like deep in my soul <laughs> the scariest part of the book for me was definitely uh when she knows that jack is trying to find danny and she is not near danny and can't get to him that is the scariest part of the book for me that really fucked me up and so that uh like definitely uh like 
that was when the book was really singing for me. And that was really terrifying because, you know, especially as parents, that's like your worst fear. You can almost deal with your own fear for yourself, but for your kid, it's like an unimaginable thing. And so when she realizes he's gone and Danny is in danger, I was like, oh my God, this is so awful. Yeah, I think being a parent really intensifies this book for sure. Right. And I think, um, are we able to talk about why this book resonates particularly with us right now? Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Uh, So I think part of why this book definitely resonates is we are both, you know, going through divorces right now. And Mm -hmm. so it makes it like when you are looking at those relationships between father and child and uh, how that affects the other relationships in the family dynamic, it can be really hard to read because it's hard not to read parallels into certain things. It is. It's really hard. And then hearing those internal thoughts, especially if it's something that you're going through, you know, she keeps thinking about divorce and it's like, Danny doesn't really understand those thoughts. And it's like, all you're just like shouting at her, like, get out, get out, get out. But then when it comes to your personal life, it's harder to make those decisions, you know? So, um, yeah, I, you know, and then the part where like Jack breaks, Danny's arm all I can think is like you do anything to my kid you're that's it like I think the fact that she stayed after that is just shows the fear that she had to stay and I can relate to some of that in my my life um just the fear to stay um but now making choices that uh you know you just get to a point where you're like I'm just not gonna put up with that anymore Right. I can I can relate to a lot of that in the book for sure. Uh, hopefully, you know, uh, scenarios don't get that crazy or intense like the book did. Uh, no hotels for me. Mm, no. <laughs> yeah, there were definite things that I saw in parallels in both of our lives. Um, and, you know, it's I think that is the what makes it so scary to me is that it's not really an unrealistic situation for in general, not necessarily our situations, but people being locked away together for an entire season and mental illness kicking in and dependence abuse kicking in and that person going crazy. We see news reports like that all the time. So I do think that is what makes that scenario particularly effective, whether it's in the book or in on film. Yeah, absolutely. Well, are you ready to talk about Nosferatu? I am ready. Hmm. Okay. So what were your general, your general thoughts on Nosferatu? Yeah. um, So I, (laughs) that beginning scene was utterly like it captures you right away. Uh, It was totally terrifying, right? There's this old man, Charles Manx. He's in a coma. He's in prison, literally for being a child murderer. Uh, and he is like this nurse is coming over to him to change out his blood bag. And he wakes up and grabs her arm and starts talking about Christmas land. And he starts talking about uh, her son and says his name, which is super terrifying because she had never mentioned it in front of him. He's also in a coma. Um, and he talks about how he's going to take her son to Christmas land. Um, and then she drops the bag of blood and it bursts all over her shoes and she runs away, um, screaming. And it's just this very intense visual scene right in the beginning. Um, I really loved that. Um, I liked, um, you know, the start of 
Vic McQueen's beginning. Um, you know, so really from this beginning moment, we are now going back 20 years. Um, and you know, she grows up in this troubled home and she has this, gets this bike, a Raleigh, right. And she finds what's called the shorter way bridge. And, uh, it takes her to anything that she, you know, to anything she wants or something that she needs. Um, and it literally, you, she goes across the bridge and she might've crossed state lines. She might've gone like 3000 miles away. Right. Um, I really loved that whole childhood story. Um, you know, and then she like finds, she goes across the shorter way bridge and she finds Manx. Um, and he, uh, is in his, uh, you know, it's the, the sleigh house. Uh, and at the sleigh house, he takes children and he takes them into their, his car and he drives them to Christmas land. Um, and he's just this old man and she comes and she sees this little boy who has razor sharp teeth. And, um, you know, it's just like, it's such a terrifying moment where she's just trying to get away. The house ends up on fire. Um, and she does get away. She's like the one that got away. Um, and that's why Charles ended up in prison was because she was like told the story about what he's doing. Um, and so I, I really loved that setup of the story. I kind of, I liked the toggling back and forth of like this time period of her as a kid and then also going to the future because now it impacts her as an adult and as a child uh, who has a child. Um, and I loved just um, the idea of uh, Charles Manx's car uh, or his, he has a Rolls Royce, which is, you know, very distinct kind of uh, vehicle. Um, and this is the car that it's actually like him and the car are one, which is really fascinating uh, later in the book. But um, yeah, I really liked it. What, what did you think? I was going to leave the later book stuff for in a minute. I loved this book. I yeah. feel like it is one that like I ripped through um, within like, because I listened to this book on audio um, and I ripped through it. I was taking like three or four walks a day uh, when I normally take like one long walk in the morning. <laughs> I was literally like, uh, you good? You watching the kid? I'll be back. And I would take like a walk in the middle of the day. Uh, and so I adored this book. I thought, uh, especially via audio, it's Kate Mulgrew. Is that who narrates it? Um, uh, let me look. Kate me something. Sure. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. Yes, Kate Mulgrew narrates it. And oh my God, her voices uh, for the characters, in particular, her voice for Charlie Manx is terrifying and really sends the book over the edge. Um, but it is... Such a well-done story. I think it sets up things so perfectly. So you get attached to Vic McQueen as a character very early. And uh, then it gives her stakes when her own child is abducted by Charlie Manx. And so for me, I felt like already I was very much in love with this very complicated character. And then... Uh, you know already like what she's up against. And so once her child is taken by this figure that we've already met 
in a really great scene. The scene where she meets Charlie Manx and finds that little boy in the car and has to burn down Charlie's house to escape. And then she escapes, goes to a gas station. Charlie Manx has followed her. He sets somebody else on fire. And then he is arrested by the police. And in that same moment, she meets her future husband. All of that happens like in one chapter or two chapters. It's wild. And so that was already such a great scene. And like, it felt like an ending climax. And that's like the first half of the book. Um, And so I felt like there was so much pushing this book forward that it was hard to find a place to put it down. Um, I did feel not necessarily there weren't any jump scares, but I felt that like aching fear in my stomach for her kid most of the book where you're worried if Vic is going to find him in time and that when she finds him, is her son going to be changed into a monster like the other child she found uh, who was accompanying Charlie Manx. And so I just loved this book. Do you want to talk about the ending? Um, yeah, so like, uh, I, Charlie Manx is just such an interesting character. I think it's like he literally in his mind thinks he's saving these children. He is saving them. And he's like, the world is so cruel. So I'm gonna take them and think about I mean, think about Christmas when you were a kid, right? Christmas is exciting. Christmas morning, there's presents and Christmas music and you know, cookies and just everything is so happy. Right. Um, And this is where he's supposed to be like creating this world for them that is in his mind. So I loved how uh, Joe Hill actually describes it's even like Vic McQueen and her, her shorter way bridge. Right. She's like, it only exists because it's in her mind, but she creates it, but other people can see it. It's wild. I, I think I, I liked in the book that they didn't try to really explain like how this happens. It's like, this is just what's happening. And sometimes there's weird things in the world that happens. And I think uh, I'm, I like that they didn't try to like, I don't know, explain it too hard. If that makes sense. I felt like we got enough of that because we meet Maggie, the librarian. And I feel like she delivers enough of that. And we don't have the scene where Vic is reading in the library and discovering it. It's just delivered to us and we get enough information and we can move on. I felt like it was explained enough that I could be satisfied without explaining it so much that my brain started picking it apart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, And so toward the end, right, Charles takes uh, uh, Vic's son and he's like, I'm going to take him to Christmas land. And he's doing this to punish her for putting him in prison and he mostly for him he's like it's because you lied about me right you said I was a child molester and a child murderer and he's like that's not true so I'm gonna punish you but but I'm not gonna punish the child right I'm never gonna do anything to the child he's I'm really doing you a favor he's gonna be happy in Christmas land so he takes uh Uh, her child and uh, Wayne, Wayne. uh, Mm -hmm. And there's this very intense moment where he's like beating her with this bone pick. Um, But she's saying that scene is so intense where she's like hitting her with this bone pick. And you're like, 
she this is she's just done how is she how is the book going to move forward from here and then she's saved by Lou's jacket that has these metal plates in them uh that really saves her she does get seriously hurt um but then you know she calls the police and really the the police and the fbi end up being sort of a hinder in the book to her needing to go she has to be the one to get her child um and she ends up uh, finding there's a bike at the house that she's at. So she rides the bike, this motorcycle away. She finds the shorter way bridge and it takes her to the gas man's house. The gas man uh, is Bing uh, is Bing. Uh, and he was he's been with Ma- Charles for a long time, Charlie Manx. And um, he is waiting for he's an adult now, but he's waiting for Charles to take him to Christmas land. But he is a very bizarre person and character he actually murdered his parents when he was a kid um and so she ends up at his house which charles ended up leaving um bing because he was starting to get really annoying and he messed up um and uh so he doesn't get to go to christmas land so he leaves bing behind and bing is very upset in this moment um being also in the book does lots of rhymes uh which is very funny to hear um there's this funny moment uh in the car with minx and bing and i wrote this down because it just made me laugh and he's like bing is just going off uh because wayne is starting to freak out and he's talking a lot uh because right they just took him from his mother and minx is like would you stop talking about cutting out tongues because (laughs) <laughs> that part actually just made me laugh because he's like i'm gonna cut your tongue out you know if you don't stop right. talking um and Manx is like we don't treat children that way but anyway uh so vic ends up at the house this is the most terrifying moment to me in the book is because uh she ends she goes into the house she doesn't recognize bing as the gas man uh and he takes her into the basement and he has in the past when manx has taken children the children are for manx to take to christmas land but bing gets the parents mostly the the mothers right and he uh rapes them he tortures them and then he eventually kills them yeah so i find that whole basement part just really super creepy um and you know kind of fast forwarding to the end where she finally gets to Christmas land to rescue Wayne. She leaves Wayne, like she's just, or she leaves Lou. uh, She like actually handcuffs him um, so that he stays safe. Cause she's like, Wayne needs a parent. Um, And oh my gosh, this whole end scene is just wild, right? So she's trying to get Wayne. She's put explosives everywhere. um, And this is how she's going to, really like hurt manx as uh, to blow up christmas land and then all the children he basically gets all of these dead monster children to come after her and they're like biting her leg with their razor sharp teeth and um oh it's so gruesome like one of them stabs her in the back with a knife oh it's so intense and just the visuals of this christmas land it's not what you imagine as like this happy Christmas land. It is a horror Christmas land with like parents' heads on spikes and all kinds of crazy shit. So Ferris wheel of dead bodies. I really <sighs> like it. Yes. It was really good the way they described it. 
Um, you know, and then she rescues Wayne. And the whole point was to like, she also had to destroy the car. So Manx gets in his car and then he starts driving because that's how she's trying to get out. She's got Lou and Wayne and she's getting across the bridge to get out of Christmas land. And Manx comes in the car uh, onto the bridge. But, you know, the car is just too heavy. The bridge has been deteriorate, deteriorating over years. And um, he falls into the, like the nothingness. Um, and uh, I I was sad because Vic, Vic dies. So Vic dies yeah. at the end. Uh, but I thought it was really bold and good for the story. Like, um, I thought like there had to kind of be a sacrifice, right? Wayne got his dad. I agree. Because without that, I do feel like it would have been too happy. And it was mm-hmm. too dark of a story to get off scot-free. So I did feel like uh, Vic dying... It actually makes sense in the context of the story. And you still get somewhat of a happy ending because you still get Wayne ending up with Lou. Um, And like in a way, Vic really struggled to be a mom, you know? So it's not good that she died, but it is good that Wayne ends up with a parent who, uh, you know, who was maybe better suited to that and that Lou is learning to love again since he had already kind of lost Vic already. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, And I actually still also love, so at the end too, Wayne can still, he still hears kids from Christmas land, right? So it's still kind of a very like Mm. creepy ending where there is like Christmas land is still calling to him. And sometimes he has those very like monster urges, right? So um I kind of liked that mystery continuing at the end. Then, then they smashed the the Christmas yeah. bulbs, so yeah. I think then that that stopped, right? Right. Yeah, because it there. Maggie had hinted that uh, when the angel when the angels fall, the children come home, and so I thought that the angels were like the Christmas ornaments. Yeah. And once the Christmas ornaments were smashed, then all of the children were able to return, and I thought that was really. A really nice way to end the book. I love the illustrations in the book too. They're they were great. Really, yeah, they're really chilling and they have a very particular art style. I would get that moon tattooed in a minute. <laughs> oh, are we getting another book tattoo, Jonathan? I mean, honestly, I'm just going to die like Bradbury's illustrated man. So uh, <laughs> I love uh, it. So you have. Uh, a game for us, which I want to get to in just a minute. But first, I have some questions for you. Mm. Okay. Uh, who was your favorite character from each book? Ooh, yes. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna start with so favorite characters. Okay, so for The Shining, Wendy was my gal. I loved Wendy's okay. character, like her progression. Um, and then just being full on badass, I think yeah. at the end, like saving her kid. Um, I just also could relate a lot to yeah. her character. So I yeah. just, I really loved Wendy and The Shining. Um, for Nosferatu, uh, it was Lou. Oh my God, I loved Lou so much. He was such a like passionate person, even though Vic fucked up so many times, like, 
just with all she's been through lots of trauma so that really impacted her life and he was still there for her and like uh he was just such a chill dad too like just doing the best he could and he was just I loved Lou and I honestly I'm like I hope I can find someone like him one day. I know. I felt like reading his character. I had two thoughts, which is I was kind of disappointed in the characterization of his fatness, yes. uh, which is also a critique that people make of Stephen King, just the way that Lou was written about his weight and then he had to lose weight in the end. And I don't know. It just felt yucky. And it felt kind of fat phobic, which I also feel about a lot of Stephen King, where I'm like, we get it. You think fat people are gross. I don't really love that. Um, however, uh, despite that, in my brain, I was like, I still think I like I pictured Lou as a very hot Kevin James. I was like, I think I would fuck that character. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I really loved Lou as a character. But for me, my favorite uh, from Nosferatu was Vic. I just thought she was really complicated. The fact that she was really haunted by her past and wasn't able to uh, like fully be present in her relationship with Lou was really interesting. The fact that she like was a dedicated mom, but still wasn't able to just be present in that relationship. Uh, but she was still the best person to save her son in a crisis. I found that really interesting. Yeah. And then in The Shining, my favorite was Dick Halloran. Mm -hmm. Because in the movie, like Dick uh, does come to try and save Danny, but he gets murdered. Whereas in the book, he escapes with Danny and Wendy and uh, he is with them in the end as Wendy is recovering and I found that really interesting and it is the one thing that Stanley Kubrick changed that I actually dislike um, where I actually think it would have been more effective uh, not only for the story but also for the time we're talking about 1980 so it's still not that far away from the 60s and I feel like having a a black character save this white family as it was already written in the book. I don't know why you would change that. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I think that uh, I loved at the end. Halloran was like, maybe just kind of not, not exactly a, a father figure to Danny, but like a person he could always go to and to talk to. And I really yeah. loved that because they shared the shining together. Right. Yeah. I do think Dick was a father figure to Danny. Yeah. Okay. Uh, even if he wasn't a husband figure to Wendy, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So I really liked his character and I wanted to like Wendy, but I actually like Wendy more in the movie. I think Shelley Duvall really portrays, a really great uh, like idea of how you can be in an abusive situation and lie to yourself about it with optimism in a way that like Shelly brings that to the character. And it's not necessarily on the page um, because for me, I did sometimes get really frustrated with Wendy uh, because uh, it felt like she wasn't even trying to necessarily be aware as much as I would have, you know, as much as 
Shelley Duvall really, I feel like we see her being overly optimistic, but she still, when confronted with evidence, she acts, you know? So I did uh, not necessarily resonate with that character as much on the page as I did in the movie theater. Yeah, I totally can see that. Absolutely. Which book did you find scariest? Ooh, honestly, it's a hard one because I think they were scary in different ways for me. Um, but I actually think that The Shining was, I, which I feel like we're going to differ on this, but I think The Shining for me was the scariest and only because just it's the real I think it's the reality that scares me it's like nothing about necessarily either book about the supernatural mm -hmm. uh was particularly just utterly terrifying there were terrifying moments for sure um but I I think for me the shining and just the thought of like being in like this is a an extreme cabin fever experience right they're like it is just this family and especially when it starts snowing and they can't go to town they are stuck in this hotel mm -hmm. and there is nobody else there's phones no phones no texting your friends no phone calls no zoom right to like connect and i think that is utter that alone is utterly terrifying um but the one thing that is scary about Nosferatu is this is scary over this wasn't just one moment this was like Vic's whole life right this mm -hmm. something happened to her as a kid and then it followed her into being an adult and then eventually leading to her death like so it's this like so much going on over time. So I don't know if that really answered the question, but <laughs> I think you basically meant the shining. I think yeah. for me, Nosferatu is scarier uh, in a way because Vic is such a, she is a character with a lot of agency and she still isn't able to keep Wayne safe. And meanwhile, Wendy, they're definitely, I'm not trying to blame her, but there were definitely moments where I was like, bitch, get out. Like when they're outside playing and she's like, soon we'll be snowed in. I'm like, yeah. And he's already been showing that he's crazy. Get the fuck out. That was very frustrating. Whereas Vic really takes a lot of agency and uh, still like the villain, like after her is so relentless that I just found uh, Nosferatu scarier. Uh, which book would you rather be stuck in? Um, I, it's funny that I find the shining scarier, but I would actually rather be stuck in the shining because you, once you get out, you're out in Nosferatu, there's like no getting out. Like yeah. once you're I... attached to Christmas land, like all the, I mean, and it terrorized Vic, right? The phone calls from Christmas land of the dead children being like, Vic, we know you're there. Come to Christmas land and play. Like it's so fucking creepy. And so it's like relentless. So as much as I find the shining terrifying, once you get out, right? Like and that's, that's it. I mean, I also love the ending, right? Where like the whole hotel just explodes because yeah. 
uh, Jack did not, he, that was his job was to keep the boiler down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he didn't do that. So he just blew himself up. So I actually kind of liked that. Um, but yeah. What about you? I think for me, I would also rather be in the shining because uh, like Charlie Manx managed to basically come out of a coma and uh, like, I feel like some part of Lou and Wayne is always going to worry that Charlie could come back. So I do think I would rather also, oh, I don't, I would like to think I'm a badass and I know I would do anything for Henry, but like the shit Vic did, I'm like, I just don't think I would make it through that. Same. <laughs> Same. Getting and attacked about- by the mallet and then getting <sighs> uh, like, basically almost raped by being partridge and then having to go to christmas land and getting stabbed and bitten i'm like i just don't think physically i would make it (laughs) yeah Yeah, same i also i think so we have charlie manx and then we have jack torrance Mm -hmm. and jack is a human whereas charlie manx was more supernatural had those supernatural elements so even though like jack went into like his psychosis he was still just a man to kill um whereas charlie makes was a little bit more than that so i think that makes it scarier yeah so you have a game for us i do okay so right these books are father and son uh so we have uh the shining uh by stephen king and then his son is joe hill so i have a it's a name the father and son duo Um, so these are just, uh, like celebrities or something. So I have different questions to ask. All right. We ready? I'm ready. All right. Which famous actor slash musician had a hit in 1997 with the song, just the two of us about his relationship with his son. Austin powers. I don't know. Is it Marvin Gaye? No, it's Will Smith. And it was about Jaden Smith. That was Will Smith? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So the song is a cover of the Bill Withers love song, right? But he actually changed the words to reflect the love between a father and a son rather than a couple. How about that? All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, This is a famous three generations of fathers and sons that all starred in It Runs in the Family. It's a movie in 2003. What were the three? generations the the caradines the the caradines no kirk michael and cameron douglas oh yeah all right so what father and son starred in harry potter like actual father and son uh oh oh crap uh the gleesons yes yeah so brendan was mad eye moody and his son played ron's older brother will bill weasley yeah okay uh what father and son team played a model and an agent in this 2001 film uh that would be ben stiller and his zoolander nice job Oh, you even got it without the hint. I was going to say Zoolander is a hint, but I don't need it. Merman, Papa, Merman. (laughs) Okay. So Max Weinberg, this is Bruce Springsteen, 
Bruce Springsteen's drummer has right. a son, Jay, and he is the drummer in what band? The it's Maroon Five. That's what it is. They're <laughs> a band. Uh, Slipknot. How about that? Yeah, and I thought this was interesting too because I actually saw Max in concert in two thousand eight. So that was oh, great. all right. Okay, in this 2017 reality show, what famous father and two sons travel through the country to explore infamous unsolved mysteries? A curiosity the father has had since early childhood days, now being passed to his two sons. I'm going to go with Charlie Sheen and uh, Emilio Estevez and Martin Sheen. No, you want to try again? It's the low files. So it's Rob Lowe and his two sons, John and Edward. Oh. Which I kind of want to check out now. <laughs> I was just listening to a podcast with Rob Lowe and Molly Ringwald. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. Cool. All right. So President George H.W. Bush was okay. the father of President George W. Bush. Which other father and son have also been U.S. presidents? Wait, why do I not know this? It's okay. It's not Roosevelt, because that was his no. uncle. Right. Is it it's... an Adams? Yes, yes, yes. the Adamses. John Adams in 1897 and John Quincy Adams in 1825. I didn't know if they were like uncles or what. So Right? Hey, okay, I have a few more. Okay. Uh, father and son... Tom and Colin Hanks have appeared in only one film together and it was as father and son. Which film did they star in? Bridge of Spies. The Great Buck Howard in 2008. Okay. I, I don't even know that movie exists. <laughs> okay. Hot and very dumb. So maybe he's not dumb in real life, but ooh, his public persona definitely which of the beatles has a son that stayed in the music industry paul mccartney yeah james uh he has songs old man and glisten How but actually it's interesting it was kind of a double-edged question because also john lennon his two sons julian and sean are also in the music industry oh all right three more questions here we go hey. Actor Jonah Hill's father is a tour accountant for which musical group? Let's say the Pussycat Dolls. <laughs> oh my God, it's Guns N' Roses. Wow. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay, I found this really fascinating. I learned a lot. Okay. Uh, which father and son each won a Pulitzer Prize, father in 1972 and son in 2003, both for poetry? Um, uh, let's, 72. Uh, son in 2003. In 2003. I'm going to go with... Uh, James and Franz Wright. Those people that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't read a lot of poetry. <laughs> okay. Last one. Uh, okay. 
what three generations of father and son made their mark in country music? Oh, three generations of father and son. Is it that uh, Hank Williams? Mm-hmm. And his and son, it. Hank Williams Jr. And his son, Hank Williams III. Oh, look at that. Ooh, that was fun. That was fun. All right, now it's time to cast our movie. Yeah. Uh, so I'll share mine first. Uh, I cast Vic. Did you cast Vic? I did. Ooh, okay, okay. Uh, I chose Jennifer Lawrence because I think she is kind of an action star. I think she's kind of a badass. I think she's also 33, so I'm like, she could be a mom. Oh, so, absolutely. So, and uh, Vic like had Wayne very young, so I think she is very young uh, in yeah. the book. Who did you choose? I actually chose, it was kind of a question mark, but I was like, maybe Kristen Stewart. Okay. okay. You know, because I think she could just, she also has like that bad assness and mm -hmm. I could just see her. Um, but I actually, I, I really do like Jennifer Lawrence because I think she has a, maybe a little bit more of that like caring side. Not that, not that Kristen Stewart doesn't care. I don't know. <laughs> yeah yeah it's hard for me to picture Kristen Stewart as a mom uh even though I know she could be and in that Di Princess Diana movie she had kids and literally in my brain I went oh are those like her brother and sister and I was like no Princess Diana had kids right weird uh I just couldn't picture it okay uh, but she's also I think uh I think Kristen Stewart is also 33 so Interesting. Oh, interesting. All right. I also cast Charlie and I chose Killian Murphy. That's a really good one. I think it's the Batman amazing. movie when he played the scarecrow. I think he was very scary. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I yeah. like that for that character. Uh, I chose Steve Buscemi. Yeah, Steve Buscemi. Yeah, he yeah. can be just, I think he could, he just has that utterly terrifying face he does really yeah. he just have to and especially like if he like grew out his hair a little bit i think he could just and i think his also his voice his voice i think yeah i can i actually think i prefer that casting as well because i think with the right makeup his face can be very menacing without <laughs> when it's not highlighted i think he looks like a normal dude but when totally. they really accentuate his features with makeup i do think he can be quite frightening so yeah, because they also talk. They talk about Charlie's eyes a lot in yeah. the book too. So, did you choose anybody else from Nosferatu or just those two? Uh, I just did those two. I tried to actually cast Lou, and that was actually more difficult. So, yeah, I think it is harder because of the physicality. Yes, not to only look for actors that fit that physicality. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I really was just looking for like. Like who's like just a really lovable actor like that. Totally. Just I'm like that. You're just like, oh, I just want to I just want to like snuggle and cuddle you. You know who I could see that is like really just like lovable and kind of plays a very similar role in uh, the show Stranger Things, um, which have did you watch the second season of Stranger Things? I did. Sean Astin, the guy who dates Winona Ryder. Yes, I can. I can see that. So lovable. I could. Yes. See that, in that role. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Okay, then. 
All right. Excellent. What, what about The Shining? Okay, uh, so I cast uh, Wendy and Jack okay. in The Shining. For Wendy, I cast uh, Amelia Clark uh, from Game of Thrones. Okay, okay. Um, I just thought she could really be a like a badass, but also just play that very internal struggle character. Right. right. Uh, for Wendy, I chose Elizabeth Olsen. Oh, I, I do like that. Yeah, I just think she has a, a lot of range and I would like to see her be scared. Like, uh, totally. I think she can take these incredibly difficult parts and like give them a lot of layers. So I feel like Wendy is a character that could just become someone who screams uh, if not in the hands of someone really capable like Shelley Duvall. And so, yeah. I don't know. I, really I like that one. Let's go with that one. I like that. Okay. I like that. Done. Uh, and then for Jack, I chose Alexander Skarsgård because I just, I find him very scary. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, I chose, I actually have two options. I was like, I don't know which ones I like better. I actually, I kind of like Jake Gyllenhaal for okay. that character. But I also, I think James McAvoy could do it. I know he's done like these lovable kind of like, hot characters but i'm like i think he could also pull off some psycho shit <laughs> well have you seen, have you seen split mm -mm. he's very scary in that so i agree i think james mcavoy so mm -hmm. let's green light it let's call his people let's yes our people will call his people yeah tell him uh <laughs> he won't even <laughs> nope i was gonna make a dirty joke but i won't do that <laughs> if anything i'm like with James McAvoy, I actually, because I think he's really hot and charming, uh, I think I could, I think he could pull off that dual personality uh, where I'm like, I get it. That would be a struggle to leave him. It, I mean, <laughs> honestly, Rebecca would never make it out. She would wouldn't. Like, no. Horrible. You have to leave. And she'd be like, but look at him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. What is your moan and groan of The Shining? Your moan is your favorite part. Your groan is your least favorite part. Your moan and groan of The Shining. Okay. Um. So my moan is uh, like just when Wendy starts really fighting back to save her son. Mm -hmm. Um. Right. The hotel wants Danny and she is like not going to have it. Um, so it's hard to pick like one scene. I just, I love when she like just takes charge of saving mm -hmm. Danny. And I think I just, I liked that a lot. Um, my groan. So my groan is not like, I think it was bad in the book. I just, uh, just when things kept having happening to Danny, right? Like when Jack breaks Danny's arm, um, also the B scene in the hotel when the, they bring the hive into Danny's room and then he goes to sleep and it's like, he didn't check if there were still bees in that fucking hive. Uh, and he gets stung like all over his hand. Um, nah. Nah. Mm -mm. no, no, I would be gone way after that. Right. Oh, my moan for The Shining is definitely the cement ring scene where uh, Danny is in the cement ring uh, and trying to get away from the ghost. Loved that. Mm -hmm. And then I think 
my groan is actually a lot of Jack's backstory. I feel like really gummed up the works and made it very slow for me. I still enjoyed the book, uh, but I do feel like uh, I didn't necessarily need that much to convince me that he was a bad person and capable of abuse. I feel like knowing that he was a drunk and broke his son's arm would have been enough to prove that to me. What was your moan and groan of Nosferatu? Uh, my moan was definitely, I loved the conversation between Vic and Lou during the fireworks, mm-hmm. uh, when she was just talking about how much she fucked up and like, then, you know, uh, Lou was just like, you know, still being there for her. And they talked about that. They still love each other. Um, and I just, I liked that because Vic really took accountability for herself but was still trying to be a good person and Lou was letting her do that and encouraging there and being there for her and I'm just like what like even though it seems like maybe some people would look at them and be like wow they're terrible parents I'm like actually I think they're pretty great people Mm -hmm. um so I really that was my moan for Nosferatu I think my groan has actually developed into uh, I'm stealing what you had said about uh just the image of Lou and his mm-hmm. um you know him having to be thin at the end I get making healthier choices but just the because he really was my favorite favorite character and I um I just think about that like why did it so much of his character had to be like oh he's almost having a heart attack right like he can't handle the situation because he's fat right. um so I think just some of that you know it's like we're all trying to just be um, more accepting of ourselves. And I just would really like to see that more uh, in that writing. Yeah, that's definitely my groan is I felt like parts of Lou's characterization was gross. Um, and it was like disappointing because he was such a well-developed character. And then there was so much about him physically where, I, you know, yes, there are fat people who are unhealthy. There are also fat people who are healthy. I am like a relatively like medium sized person and I have high blood pressure, you know, like that's not specific to fat people. And it yeah. felt a little cheap. But my moan uh, is definitely the scene uh, where uh, Wayne is abducted and uh, where Vic is uh, assaulted by Charlie Manx and she's trying to like save her son. It was just some of the most exciting writing I've ever read. I literally like stopped folding laundry and I like laid down on my pile of laundry to listen. Cause I was like, I can't breathe. <laughs> so, I love that, but we are running out of time. However, I have a game for you. Okay. Um, it's called Stephen kind. And your job is to change one letter of Stephen King's famous titles to arrive at a sweeter remake. So here okay. we go. Here's one letter. One. You change one letter of the title. And I'll tell you the title in the question. Okay? Okay. This revamp of Salem's Lot features not vampires, but a group of Massachusetts weather ca- weathercasters dealing with a wave of high temperatures. So the book, is, the book is Salem's Lot. Right. And it's about weathercasters dealing with a wave of high temperatures. 
Harlem's lot. That wasn't even one one letter. <laughs> Salem's hot. Oh, Salem's hot. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. All right. <laughs> In the Green Mile, Tom Hanks must grapple with his complicated feelings about being a prison guard. But in this reimagining, he must grapple with a suspicious, though non-cancerous, growth. Uh, okay, so it's the Green Mile. Uh-huh. Cancerous growth. I'm guessing it's like non a non-cancerous. Non-cancerous. Oh, oh, the green mole. The green mole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In the dead zone, Johnny awakens from a coma after a car accident, but the retelling focuses on the orange and white inanimate object that desperately tried to prevent the collision. The dead cone. The dead cone. <laughs> in the stand, the world is obliterated by a plague, but in this retelling, a party is obliterated by a stinky fart. <laughs> a stink. No. The stink. You're close. Just change one letter. No, I'm not there. The stank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see, I see, okay. Okay. In Pet Cemetery, a man uses a cursed burial ground to bring his loved ones back to life. In this version, he tries to bring back his beloved airplane. Jet Cemetery. Jet Cemetery. Yeah! <laughs> the dark tower delivers post-apocalyptic thrills but this retelling delivers belly rubs and butt sniffs <laughs> the fart tower the no. bark the, the bark, bark tower, tower. <laughs> <laughs> okay i have a few more okay <laughs> Needful Things introduces us to a haunted antique shop, but this retelling introduces us to a haunted Victoria's Secret store. The title is Needful Things. And and it was what was the end? A haunted Victoria's Secret store. Needful Things. Mm. Needful thongs. <laughs> Needful. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, I have two more. Uh, Doctor Sleep is a is King's long-awaited sequel to The Shining. While this is his friendly book about Babs Baxter, a woolly pediatrician. Proctor Sleep. No. Nope, just change one letter. Oh, God, that's right. Uh, and it's about Baxter, a woolly pediatrician. Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sheep! Dr. Sheep! <laughs> <laughs> my brain, it just takes a minute. Okay. This is my dumbest one. Cujo is about a mad dog loose in Maine. This retelling is about a crazy bottom loose in Puerto Rico. <laughs> so this is Cujo. Cujo. <laughs> I'm cracking myself up. I know. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to give you two seconds. Go, go. Hulu. <laughs> I love it. Oh, thank you for playing. We oh are my God. out of time. So we are going to have to cut it short. But, well, I say that. This will probably be an hour-long episode. But thank you for joining us, listeners. And until next time, stay spooky. The music for They're Coming to Read You, Barbara, comes from Eric Matias at www.soundimage.org. Yes.